The story of In-N-Out is one of the great tales in American fast food history. I mean, a small hamburger stand turns into a multi-billion dollar empire by being the anti-McDonald's. Just a simple menu, fresh food, and little advertising. That's it. So what was once a California-only feast became huge and is now enjoyed all over the Southwest. But next time you go for your cheeseburger animal style with mustard and pickles, you'll also get their new appetizer, a double-double of COVID-19 politics. Hold the onions. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Tuesday, November 16th, 2021. Last month, In-N-Out made national news when health officials in San Francisco shut down one of its restaurants. The company Sin, refusing to comply with a local rule that requires restaurants to ask customers for proof of COVID-19 vaccination if they want to dine indoors. An In-N-Out spokesperson described the mandate as, quote, intrusive, improper, and offensive, end quote. Damn. And suddenly, the burger chain became a flashpoint in this country's culture wars. Today, we'll talk about this beloved company and its controversial decision, which might happen again as it contends with LA County's own vaccine mandate, which went into effect last week. Our guest today, my LA Times colleague, Stacey Perman. She covers the business of film for our company town team, but Stacey's also the author of the best-selling 2009 book, In-N-Out Burger, a behind-the-counter look at the fast food chain that breaks all the rules. It's an awesome book. You got to buy it. And Stacey, I still need you to autograph my copy. (laughs) Thanks, Gustavo. So 1948, the Los Angeles suburb of Baldwin Park, husband and wife team Harry and Esther Snyder opened the first In-N-Out. What's their story? Well, Harry and Esther Snyder were these kind of depression era, salt of the earth, pull up your bootstraps kind of couple. They came from very little money. Esther came from a large family of children, impoverished family in the Midwest. Her ticket out was she joined the Navy during World War II. And they met in Seattle. She was studying at the university and they met at a sandwich shop. And they came down to Southern California, like a lot of people in this post-war euphoria, for opportunity and to make their own dream. They got a little spit of land, this little spit of land in Baldwin Park, had a little house across the street, and they decided to open up a burger joint. Now, just to take you back, this was the time where burger joints were these experiences big parking lots, you drove up, there were car hops, there was crazy architecture. But they had none of that. And Harry, so he rigged up this little intercom system where you would drive up this little gravel pathway, put your order in this intercom, and then drive up to this little box, get your order, and drive out. And that's how it got the name in and out It was pretty much the first drive through, and Harry never patented the intercom system. <laughs> wow. They could have been even richer at this point. And the <laughs> Snyders, they were from the same generation as other Southern Californians who started fast food empires. The McDonald Brothers and their burger chain out in San Bernardino, Glenn Bell and Taco Bell in the city of Downey, Robert O. Peterson and Jack in the Box in San Diego. But those chains grew big and fast. in and out on the other hand, spread out way slower. Why? Well, there are a number of reasons. First of all, all those concepts, Taco Bell, McDonald's, all of the companies that we know today, at some point either sold themselves to a larger corporation, went public, franchised, or all of the above. And that was just verboten in Harry Snyder's world. He had this motto, keep it simple, do one thing, and do it well. Mm. And that, 
you know, applied to everything from the burgers to the company. Harry actually never wanted a chain. He was happy with the one burger place. The second In-N-Out opened three years after the first, largely because he had all these happy employees that were treated well, that liked working there, and there was nowhere for them to go. So they started expanding, but it had to be done, you know, the way Harry wanted to do it. And he was a micromanager before that was a term. So first he had to own the real estate, which was unusual. And he was very smart. He keyed into car culture. Obviously, it was a drive-through. So he would pick these locations along the burgeoning highway system. He had very exacting standards about management. So his managers and workers had to be trained in a specific way. And then thirdly, back to his exacting standards, it came down to the quality of the ingredients. So they built these commissaries. No in and out more than, I think, 200 miles from a commissary. If you go into an in and out you don't see heat lamps or freezer. The burgers, the meat patties, the tomatoes, the potatoes, everything come from the commissary fresh every two or three days. In fact, at one point, Harry bought a cattle ranch. He thought he would be able to actually control the food process from the start. And that's pretty much why there's been this glacial rollout of In-N-Outs. They're kind of big, about over 300 locations, but they're still significantly smaller than their fast food rivals. And yet In-N-Out has this fan base that's about as fanatical as you'll find for any big corporation. You literally wrote the book on In-N-Out. So what explains that devotion people have toward it? Well, I think it starts with the burgers. I think you might have a contrary opinion about that. But (laughs) first of all, (laughs) it starts with the burgers. This is a company that people grew up with. It pretty much exploded by word of mouth. They do very little advertising, bumper stickers, a little radio jingle. But um, this is a company that began, you know, in the sort of the euphoria of post-war California and stood at the center of it all. Car culture, surfing culture, celebrities. Back in the day, it was on the road. Celebrities would come back from Palm Springs. There was this great story where Dinah Shore, I don't even know if anybody remembers who Dinah Shore oh, yeah. is or was. Her car broke down and she ate burgers with Esther Snyder in her house watching TV while they waited for the car to get fixed. Bob Hope was a big fan. I think um, before he turned 100, his family threw him a big birthday party and they had an in and out truck. They have this broad appeal. You have this secret menu that's not so secret anymore, but there was this initiation right where people would tell people about in and out and take them there, tell them about the secret menu. You felt like you were part of, you know, an insider secret. It was the quintessential, it still is the quintessential Southern California brand. You have this broad appeal from truck drivers to Michelin starred chefs. You had Julia Child. Thomas Keller, the French laundry's famous Thomas Keller, told me a, an artist friend introduced him to In-N-Out, and then they made this yearly pilgrimage with a really fancy bottle of wine, and they'd go through the drive through and get burgers. Daniel Belloud, the famous Michelin-starred French chef, you know, extolled the virtues of the simplicity of the burger and the business model. And for the regular people like us, especially if you grew up in Southern California, you have this personal connection to In-N-Out Burger. The stories are legion. People would take road trips and time their stops for when they got to an In-N-Out. People would drive miles to get an In-N-Out. I had a guy tell me he flew burger fixings from an In-N-Out to Minnesota for his son's birthday party. I met this wealthy Hong Kong developer who told me that the first thing he does when he flies into LAX is go to an In-N-Out Burger. And the stories go on and on and on. 
Also, the fact that in this corporate world, in this fast food world, most people see them as the real deal, this authentic company, this idealized version of a simpler time in America. And despite their growth, they in many ways have not betrayed their roots. Yeah, the late Anthony Bourdain also would say that when he would fly into Los Angeles, first place he'd go to wasn't in and out. And it was this Southern California, almost like a, a Southern California's best kept secret. But then the sons of Harry and Esther Snyder, they slowly start to scale up expansion. So what led them to do the opposite of what their father had wanted? Well, that was largely the handiwork of Rich Snyder, the second son. They had two sons, Guy and Rich. Rich was the younger son. He really respected his parents, but I think he saw an opportunity to grow the company. But he was very clever about it. I think what he did is he professionalized management. He launched an in-and-out university, and he started slowly expanding the company. But he basically just took his father's motto, keep it simple, do one thing and do it well, and scaled up so they didn't cut corners. The menu is the same. The architecture is the same. Everything's the same. It's consistent. It's clean. It's fresh. It's just at a bigger scale. But if you compare it to a McDonald's or a Burger King, it's still like teeny tiny. Yeah. And then there's a current owner and president, Lindsay Snyder. She's 39 years old, already a multi-billionaire. But few ever thought she'd be the head of In-N-Out so quickly. She's a granddaughter of the Snyders. What's her story and how has the company changed under her? Right. So Harry and Esther really were emphatic that the company would stay private and family owned and would go on to lineal blood descendants. But the family also had a very tragic backstory. Rich died in a plane crash in, um, I think, 1993. Lindsay's father, Guy, died about seven, eight years later of a drug overdose. She was a teen at the time. The wisdom of the company founders structured her ownership that she would come into the ownership in three tranches when she was, she'd get a third of the company when she was 25, half when she was 30, and the whole, you know, enchilada, so to speak, when she was 35. She grew up very sheltered, very religious in Northern California. Her family built a little school for her with some of her friends. They closed the school down when, you know, she graduated. And she kept a very sheltered life. But publicly, she has maintained her commitment to the company. Rich put in on board a very talented, deep bench of managers. And I think that saved the company over the years of tragedy. She is 39 now. I think her biggest mark, I would say there's two big marks. I think under her, the company has gone the greatest expansion in, in its entire history. It's now in seven states. Last year, it opened in Colorado. They've announced plans to open in Idaho. And I think the second mark she's made is this is, I mean, not just a private family company. They are private. They rarely do any interviews. And she's done a number of interviews where she's talked about herself and her life. In fact, a few years ago, she came out on a Christian media platform and talked about her own struggles with addiction and alcoholism and her number of failed marriages. I think she's been married and divorced three times and she's on, now married to her fourth husband. But she's made a commitment, at least publicly, and I haven't seen anything otherwise, to keep the company private. They get tons of queries from private equity folks, hedge funds. I understand they don't entertain any of them. And so far, aside from the growth, everything's pretty much stayed the same. But again, it's a private company, so she can do whatever she wants. And I think it's a tightrope as they expand to keep in and out, in and out. We'll have more after this break.
Stacy. So we now get to in and out today. Over 350 locations, still expanding, still a rabid fan base, still hailed by celebrities and common folks alike. And then it decides to get into the COVID-19 wars and openly defy government mandates about vaccines. Did that move surprise you? I mean, I'd say yes, and I'd also say no. I think, you know, the company took this stand. Uh, you know, if you go back to the early days, they've always had this sort of iconoclastic, contrarian, libertarian streak, however you want to slice it. Uh-huh. Back to the days of Harry. I mean, I was told that he was anti-union, but at the same time, he treated his workers better than anybody with payment, the way he paid his benefits and salaries. He also, there were no women that worked at in and out until I think the late 70s or early 80s because they had these little tiny boxes and Harry was afraid there'd be monkey business if there was mixed <laughs> sex in these little tiny boxes. You know, later his son, Rich, who was a very staunch, observant Christian, put biblical passages on the packaging. One Christmas, they turned the little jingle into a, a message about Jesus and Christianity on the radio. People complained. They said, that's too bad if you're not interested. So I think they've always gone their own way, both culturally and also their business model. And every few years, something flares up. A few years ago, news broke that the company had given money to the California GOP. I think just this sort of iconoclastic conservative streak is baked into the proposition of the company for most people. They look past the Bible passages. They get angry about the GOP funding, and then they go on and order their double-double. But in terms of specifically about the COVID stands, I think that it didn't align with their values. Customer service is one of their hallmarks, and I think they saw it as an inconvenience to customers and employees who they also treat very well. And I think that was indicative in the statement they gave where they said, we're not the vaccine police. But I do understand that after the San Francisco store closed, that they did comply and make in and out, at least in that location, either takeout or outdoor dining. So, I mean, I don't think this is a battle they're going to die on here. I think they're going to find some middle ground. That's what struck me, though, about their at least their public stance, like using language like we're not the vaccine police. Yeah, it's always been a conservative leaning company. Like if people make their excuses to look past it, but that was to especially as such a huge company, that to me was pretty bold that they would be so adamant about that. Yeah, that didn't surprise me that much. I mean, it is a private company. They have a very specific point of view that they've always held to, and it's never really hurt them. So that didn't really surprise me. I think, you know, they're conservative. There's a religious bent to the company. We're living in a, you know, an era of outrage and, you know, doubling down and taking stands rightly or wrongly. So they can take this public stand. We will see where that goes. I mean, it's interesting if they convert most of the restaurants basically to takeout or outdoor dining, that goes back to the early days. (laughs) Anyways, you know, eat-in dining at In-N-Out is a relatively new phenomenon. They were famous for their double drive-thrus. The reason why they went to eat-in is because they had trouble getting permits because they would, you know, block traffic down the street for people going into the drive-thrus. I guess, you know, it's really up to Lindsay Snyder. It's her company. They've had small backlashes that haven't really made a dent. And I guess they have such a devoted fan base that historically has looked past any of these little blips. I think, you know, people that grew up with In-N-Out are a little more forgiving. Maybe the new fans, it's kind of like, wait a minute. It's like finding out your mother's sleeping with the postman. You know, my In-N-Out, what's going on with my In-N-Out? I mean, part of the beauty of In-N-Out is they do so few interviews. Their reputation is a lot of it is what we project onto it. 
That's a really interesting point. I mean, L.A. County just enacted its own mandate requiring restaurants to make sure that any customers who go indoors have been vaccinated against COVID-19. Enforcement starts in a couple of weeks. Up in San Francisco, there's just one location of In-N-Out. But in Los Angeles, the city in L.A. County, there's way, way more. I mean, it's the birthplace of the chain. Do you expect them to continue to take that anti-vaccine enforcement stance? It's kind of like the million dollar question, right? I think they're probably going to put their foot in the water and see the reaction. But like I said, they do have the option to continue with the drive through and the takeout and the eat out. So it won't be like all or nothing. Then finally, you know, Lindsay Snyder, she started her own ministry, Army of Love. So she's very outspoken about her evangelical beliefs. But it seems even though the company has conservative leanings, they really haven't tried to put themselves out there in terms of the culture wars, in terms of political posturing or anything. Do you think Lindsay, seeing what's going on right now, that she's going to maintain that same position, kind of quiet conservatism or maybe become a little bit more outspoken on other issues as well? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it's really kind of a wait and see. I think, you know, she's come into her own. Like I said, she did this big interview where she revealed her own struggles in life. And that's a big departure from both her family and the company culture. I really think it's like, let's wait and see. I mean, they've always had this religious bent and that's always been part of their life. And and to a certain extent, it's an undergirth in the company in, in a subtle way, but they haven't been in your face about it. And that's been smart and successful. I mean, she has managers who've been with the company for a long time that can counsel her. We will see how it goes. Again, I can see it go either way. I mean, this is a company that's always gone its own way and it really hasn't lost any of its reputation or bottom line as a result, but we're getting into a period where things are so polarized. I don't know that a business would want to jump in that fray, but I guess it's Lindsay's call. Like you said at the very beginning, it's like, well, it's the burgers at the end. And I have friends that say like, oh my God, I can't believe they're doing this, but I need my double double. So all right, whatever. Give me my double double. That's right. <laughs> Stacy, thank you so much for this interview. Thank you, Gustavo. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, our masters of disasters return with rain. Hopefully more, but not too much more. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, and Melissa Kaplan. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb, and our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Don't make us the Buccia Podcasts. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and this madre. Gracias. Overrated.